The word regret is a very powerful, emotionally charged word. Like if I asked you, what are your regrets in life? You probably have a list. And behind that list, behind every one of those regrets is a story. And maybe the older you are, the more you have or the longer your list. But a lot of our regrets start with the words, I wish. I wish I hadn't gotten the car that night. I wish I had taken that job. I wish I hadn't. I wish I had moved to that city. I wish I hadn't. I wish I had never met her. I wish I, would, I, wish I had said that to him before he passed away. We have these regrets in our past, and they're not always front and center. They're not always like right present in your mind. They, they sort of hang out. More often, they kind of hang out on the edge of our subconscious like junior high boys at the dance. They're just kind of there against the wall of our conscious. They're there, but they're not necessarily uh, in, in the game. And so I want to talk about with you this morning how we, how we clear some of that stuff out. How do we clear out our, our past? Because our not just our regrets, but the, the things we have not dealt with in our past and our lack of forgiveness in those situations are the things that are going to keep our feet nailed to the, the floor. This series is called Rewrite Your Future. And, and, I, and throughout the series, I want to I be helpful to people and, and say, okay, how can you have a future that's different and, and brand new compared to what you've had in the past? But in order to, to rewrite our future, we're going to need to do a little bit of work on rewriting our past. How can we rewrite a past that has already been written? Well, to do that, you need forgiveness. Um, and forgiveness, the word and the idea, kicks up all sorts of fear in us because when you talk about forgiving something that's been done to you, uh, you're really talking about, uh, 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 we're really opening up a door, let's say, of things that you would rather keep shut and that you would rather not deal with. Like, imagine for a moment someone who's done you wrong in your past. M- imagine a painful situation in the past, something that you've had to work through forgiveness on. Imagine the face of the person who did whatever to you, right? Now, uh, what, what kind of emotions does that kick up in you at, right now? Maybe anger as you think of that person? Maybe rage? Maybe fear. Maybe it brings up the fear of being hurt again when you think about that person. Is it possible then if I say, now go ahead and forgive that person, is it possible to do it? Does it, does it even feel right or necessary to you? Do you feel like, no, I can't forgive that person. I can't forgive what was done to me. H- how do you do it? Is it possible at all to forgive like that? Well, I told you in this series starting a couple weeks ago, I told you that uh, some of these ideas of, of rewriting our future are based around this one key idea, which is this, our actions correlate with how the world occurs to us. And in two weeks, we're going to talk about vision, and vision is how the future occurs to you. Talking about where you want to go, how that future occurs to you affects how you live today. Forgiveness t- is about how the past occurs to you and how that will affect you today. So we need to really dive into this concept of forgiveness. If we're going to rewrite our future, you have to use forgiveness to rewrite your past. So what is forgiveness? It actually comes from, the word forgiveness comes from an English and German roots, uh, and it means, uh, it means to give up desire or power to punish. So when you forgive someone, you're saying, I give up my desire to uh, punish them. I'm, I'm willing to let them or that situation go. Now, we have a lot of misconceptions about forgiveness, and I want to address a couple of them. I would say three main myths around forgiveness. Number one, we believe this, forgiveness is forgetting. And maybe because they both start with F, that's why we've lumped them in together, but somewhere along the line, we've said, and you've probably heard this, just forgive and forget. 
Forgive and forget, like that's super easy, right? Forgive, forget. They, they both start with four. It sounds like they should go together. But practically, it's not realistic, is it, to forgive and to forget? Because there are things that have happened to you or situations that you've been a part of. You don't just forget them. That's not going to happen. The, the abuse and, and, and betrayal and these sorts of things, you can't just wipe them away from your mind like they, they never happened. So forgiveness doesn't mean you forget. And it's important we understand that because if you think forgiveness equals forgetting, you will never try to forgive because you will think there's no way I can never, I can never forget this. Therefore, I'm not even going to try to forgive. Those things are, are separate. Writer Lewis Smedes wrote a lot about forgiveness. And listen to what he says here on, on that idea. Forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember we change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. Forgiveness gives you a new way. It's a rewrite of your past. It doesn't mean you forget what happens, but it gives you a different way to approach it. A second myth or misconception we have about forgiveness is forgiveness excuses someone's behavior. We think if I forgive that person, that means I'm saying what they did was okay. No, you're not. And let's dig into that at another level. If you think, man, I'm going to not forgive this person, what is that really doing? What hook do you think you have the other person actually on by not forgiving them? You're not, you're not keeping them from something by not forgiving them. In fact, you're, you're lacking some faith in God. You're basically saying, look, I'm not going to forgive what that person did to me because they got away with it and someone needs to be alive who will actively hate them and I will take that job. I'm going to hate what they did. Otherwise, it'll be as if it never happened. And, I, and, I want, and I'm really committed here. Like, someone needs to hate that person. And we're basically saying, God, you can't judge. I will take care of it, right? That's what happens when we, when we, uh, when we don't forgive. And, and we think that forgiveness is going to excuse a person's behavior. But it, it, it doesn't excuse their behavior. Maybe this illustration would be helpful to you. It was helpful to me. Imagine you loan your car to a good friend. You throw them the keys, they take the car out, you go to bed for the night, and you hear outside your house late at night, you hear this loud crash of metal and glass. And you walk outside, and there's your friend at the wheel of your car, and he has wrapped the car around your tree in your front yard. The car smashed, your friend's kind of woozy, you go up to your friend, and you realize your friend is drunk. So you yell at your friends for wrecking your car, but they are not really tracking with you, right? So you get them a taxi, an Uber, or whatever. You send them home, and then you deal with it the next day. Okay, you have options at this point of how you're going to deal with the smashed car in, the, in your front yard. Number one, you can go to your friend and say, you need to pay for smashing my car. And insurance, or they pay, or you take them to court, or whatever, but your friend ends up paying. There's a word for that. It's called justice. Someone did something wrong, they pay for it. That's option number one, justice. Option number two, your friend says, I'm not going to pay, I'm, I'm incapable of paying, I don't have any money, whatever, and they don't pay. But you still want to drive the car, so you go ahead and swallow the cost and you fix the car yourself so that you can drive and move forward. That's called forgiveness. It's saying, I'm going to swallow the offense, and, I'm, I, I, and in fact, and this is why it hurts to forgive, I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to swallow this, even though you're wrong and you did wrong, but whatever, I'm going to pay for it because I need the car to be able to move forward. Those are 
basically your two main options, but I think there's a third option, and this is the one that, when it comes to forgiveness, this is what a lot of us take. Because option number one is justice, option number two is forgiveness. But the third option is, you don't fix the car, and they don't fix the car. You walk by the car every day, smashed around your tree, and you look at it, and you go, I can't believe they wrecked my car. And you go buy another car, or you ride the bus or something, and every day as you walk by, you're like, that jerk wrecked my car, there it is, sitting there. Sounds ridiculous, right? But I think when it comes to forgiveness, this is the option that a lot of people choose. If option number one is justice and option number two is forgiveness, option number three is bitterness. We hold on to it, we don't forgive, and we grow bitter over time. And bitterness, what does it do to you? And you know people like this. You know people like this in your family who are holding on to something from 25 years ago. Like, you know this, right? You've seen it. It makes you uh, bitter. Bitterness will, will rot out your soul. It make, makes you hard to be around because you're, you're bound to your past. You're still stuck on this thing that happened a long time ago. And the reason you don't move forward, the reason you don't drive the car again is because you just leave it sitting there and you don't actually forgive. You don't deal with, with the pain. And, and who, does, who does that bitterness hurt? It actually only hurts you. The person who wrecked your car, they're going to move on with their life. They're going to get another car. They're going to do whatever. Um, it hurts you when you don't forgive because you're the one who needs another car to drive. You need to move forward. So number one, the myth is forgiveness is forgetting. Number two, a myth is forgiveness excuses someone's behavior. We're not excusing what someone did. They, they still did something wrong. And number three, we have this belief that forgiveness means we're supposed to just get over it. Get over it. Man, just get over it and you'll be fine. I don't know about you, but when someone says to me, get over it, my brain does the opposite of that. And, and, and I know this is a, a more universal thing because I've tried it in marriage. I've said to my wife, just get over it. And that doesn't work very well, especially when it's about something I did. So saying get over it, and this is the way the brain works. If, if someone says to you, get over it, your brain will immediately start building your case of all the reasons why you are justified in your position, why you shouldn't get over it. That's the way the brain works. It's going to keep you safe. It's going to keep you secure. It's going to keep you bunkered in. And, and someone saying get over it comes at you like a threat. And you go, no, no, I, I don't get over it. I have very good reasons to stay exactly where I am. So telling someone, hey, you're going to forgive, that means you're just going to get over it, that's not helpful. And honestly, there are things, the, the betrayal and, and trauma in our lives, the things that happen to us, you don't just tell someone who's experienced heavy trauma, get over it. That's not helpful. Maybe a better way, and this has been helpful for me to think through it, is saying, instead of saying get over it, we're saying, we would say, get off of it. In other words, waive your right to be right about whatever happened. Like, you may be right, and the other person did you wrong. And you may carry that to your grave. They may never own up to what they did. But if you're willing to forgive that person, you're willing to say, I'm going to get off of it. I don't have to be right here. I think I am right, and that's okay, and you can have that. I just don't need to hold that over someone. I'm not saying you did no wrong. I'm saying I don't have to be right so I can move forward. I want to drive the car again, and I don't need to hold on to this. Jesus taught us this. Jesus taught on forgiveness in, in a couple different places. And, and, and the grand theme of Scripture is this, 
God created humanity and put us in a, in a great situation, and, and there was love, and it was, it was a, a, a perfect world, a perfect spot, and we blew it. We sinned. We, we broke relationship with God, with other people. We sinned against ourselves, or against God, against others. We messed the thing up. We crashed the car into the tree. You've done it. I've done it. All of us have done it. And Jesus, when he dies on the cross, he pays for our sin. In other words, Jesus says, all right, you crashed the car. You're not even owning up to the fact that you did it. I'm going to die for you before you even realize what you've done. I'm going to pay the price for the damage. And, and, and Jesus forgives us. And then he turns around when he speaks on earth and teaches. He teaches us to forgive others. He calls us to that. And it's challenging stuff. In fact, in Matthew 18, Jesus challenged his disciples and he was teaching. And he, and he basically said, hey, if somebody's done you wrong, you need to go to them and fix it. You need to go to them and, uh, and, and make things right between the two of you. But here's the issue. If someone's done you wrong, how many times do you go to someone and fix it? Right? That's a, that's a fair question. How many times do I have to keep going back to talk to her when she won't listen? How many times do I have to go back to him and when he's done me wrong? How many times do we need to go through this process? It's a natural question. In fact, one of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, Peter comes up to him and says that. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Seems like an arbitrary number, but there's actually some history to it. In the first century, rabbis would teach that you're supposed to forgive a person three times. And the reason they taught that is from the Old Testament book of Amos. It says that God will forgive the nation of Israel three times, and on the fourth time, he will punish them for what they've, what they've done. And so rabbis took that to mean that's what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to forgive someone three times, and then on the fourth time, seek some sort of punishment for them. So Peter... And this new ethic of like the hippie loving, the hippie Jesus sandal wearing, you know, the, this guy is like cool, love, you know, the golden rule, all that. Peter's hanging out with Jesus, seeing how loving he is to people. And Peter thinks he's like really doing it well here. He's like, hey, how many times should I forgive someone? Not three, but twice that plus one. I figure I'm covered. If, I, if we'll just go seven times, is this enough time to forgive somebody? Have I, have I done what's right before God? Listen to Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Other translations will say 70 times. So he's, he's either, or 77 times. So he's either saying 77 times or 70 times seven, which is like 490 times or whatever. So, so Peter's like, how many times do I have to do this seven times? And the response back is, no, no, way more than that, bro. In fact, if, if you want to get literal about that, then Peter's going to sit there and think, so I'm not supposed to forgive seven times. I'm supposed to keep score with whoever sinned against me. And once I get up to like 70, let's just go with 77. Once I get up to 77 on the 78th time, then I can punish them for what they've done and I don't have to forgive them. No, you're not supposed to keep a score like that. And actually, that's the point. You're supposed to forgive over and over to a number that you can't even count. You're supposed to continually forgive someone. Doesn't mean you have to continually have that person close to you. Doesn't mean that you forgive them and now they're, you're like, I forgave you once, we're best friends again. That, that may not be the case, but it does mean for your sake, you need to forgive them over and over. Jesus tells a parable about it in the next couple of verses. Listen to what he says, starting with verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with the servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So there's a king and he has servants and one of his servants basically crashed the car. His servant took the car for a joyride, wrecked it on the tree, owes a bunch of money. The king's like, I'm going to punish you for this. He begs for mercy And the king forgives the guy's debts. Notice that it costs the king something to do that. That's why forgiveness hurts. The king is choosing to swallow the debt. He's not pretending like it never happened. He's saying, all right, I will swallow this because you need mercy. And and, and so I'm going to offer you forgiveness. I'm going to wipe out your debt. And so many of us, when we go to God, we say, God, why don't you just forgive me? Stop making such a big thing out of it. Like, it's no big deal. Can you just pretend like this never happened? And it's like, no, it costs something when we break a relationship. Jesus dies on the cross because it costs something. So the king wipes out the debt, and the servant goes out, and, and, and he finds one of his fellow servants who owes him a little bit of money, and he doesn't forgive that person, and he makes him pay. Word gets back to the king. King ends up, why did you do this? And he throws him in jail. And so there's this story of asking for forgiveness, receiving it, and then not extending that forgiveness to someone else. And listen to how Jesus finishes this in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now in black and white, as you read that, or if you're reading it in the New Testament, it's in red. In red and white, because Jesus said it, he speaks red. Um, it, it, right there it says, look, here's, here's the point, guys. This is what God will do to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And as you read that, honestly, that threw me for a loop when I read it the first time. I was like, wait a second. So God forgives me if and only if I forgive other people. That can't be what that's saying because that looks a lot like what that's saying. Like I'm going to forgive other people, then God will forgive me. There's a cause and effect. If the cause is I forgave other people, the effect is God then forgives me. It's not what it's saying. Because if that was true, why did Jesus need to die on the cross at all to forgive our sins? You could just say, well, did you forgive other people? Cool, you're in. If you didn't, you're out. You know, that kind of thing. That's not what he's saying. There's a different cause and effect to this. He's saying if you forgive uh, sins of other people, the effect is that proves that you have been received God's forgiveness. In other words, the way you extend forgiveness to others shows that you get it, that you get what God has done for you. The Apostle Paul picks up on this theme in Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to what he says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. In other words, you're not perfect either. Somebody's burned a bridge with you. They've hurt you. And Paul's saying, no, you need to forgive them too. And you do it because you realize and you recognize that God has already done it for you. He has extended his grace, his forgiveness to you. Therefore, you extend that to other, other people. 
those who have been forgiven much, and that's all of us, should also forgive much. So why should we forgive? Number one, forgiveness sets you free. When we don't forgive, our feet get nailed to the floor. That's where we get stuck. We just go, man, I have a hard time forgiving, and I'm just going to stay there. I'm going to be bound to my past. Uh, a lack of forgiveness will bind you to your past. Promises, we'll look at this in a couple weeks, promises will bind you to your future, but a lack of forgiveness is going to bind you to your past. And forgiveness will set you free of that. The way to be free of your past is to forgive what has happened. Not to get over it, but to get off of it. I had to walk this journey myself. My father left my family when I was 11, my brother and I. My brother was 15, I was 11. And we saw my dad on the weekends, every other weekend kind of situation until I was 15. And at that point, we had a bit of a falling out, a bit of a fight. And my dad basically said, I don't want to see you again. And so for the next 12 years, from 15 to 27, I saw my dad one time and I spoke to him on the phone one time through all that period. And I was bitter about it. Um, it was affecting me, anger and, 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 and stuff. So I, I'm, I'm struggling with it because I just thought, look, I was the kid and you're the adult. It's really the responsibilities on you to keep the relationship with me. Like I could be excused, I suppose, for being like a moody teenager. But you, as a grown-up, should have initiated relationship with me over the years. And I was bitter about it. Until about 2005, I got into some counseling and into a sort of therapy group and started working through some of my feelings about that and some of my anger about that. And I was able to forgive my father. And I know I was able to forgive him because he died in 2006. And when he died, I didn't hate him anymore. It didn't, it didn't oh, that guy. Uh, it was just like, that is clear. And, and, and that is gone from me. My, my dad... And all during that time when I was bitter about my dad, my dad was never held hostage to that. He was never held hostage to my lack of forgiveness. He didn't even know. It was only holding me back. It wasn't holding him back. It's sort of the classic, you know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other guy. And that's what, that's what I was doing. We, uh, the, the only way I was able to be free was to forgive him. And when I was able to do that, I was able to start driving the car again. So number one, forgiveness sets you free. And related to that, number two, forgiveness enables you to move forward. When you don't forgive, you just end up resenting someone. And we don't see what the lack of forgiveness is costing us. It actually costs you something to not forgive someone. It's costing you the ability to rewrite your future, to have a different dreams and hopes and future. You say, oh, I can have dreams and hopes and future. While, while still not forgiving someone, that's pretty hard because you're going to spend a lot of energy actively hating somebody from your past. You're going to spend a lot of energy all worked up about what they did or didn't do, and that's energy you could spend dreaming and hoping for your future and, and walking a, a different road. And you spend the energy actively hating someone yet and do that for long enough and you grow bitter and you just float and you just sort of wait there, kind of treading water, just waiting to die. If you want to move forward, you have to clear out the past. This is why Jesus tells us to forgive 77 times or 490 times or whatever. This is why he tells us this. Not so the other person feels better that you forgave them. So that you are clear and free and you can move forward. That's why you have to continually do it. To say, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to forgive over and over. But we want to throw a flag here, especially depending on what's going on in your life. You're going to say, Chris, man, (laughs) this sounds good, like in theory, but how can I forgive what was done to me? There's betrayal. He cheated on me. And that's where I think we have to look into our own self and say, yeah, but where have I blown it? Where have I blown it? And Jesus doesn't even let us off this hook. You remember I read this to you a couple weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. He, he was talking about adultery when someone cheats on a, their spouse. And he said, those of you who look at a woman lustfully have committed adultery in your heart. And it's almost like, oh no. You mean I'm also the betrayer? And if God's going to forgive that in me, can I bring myself to forgive that in someone else? That's what we're challenged to do by Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a very humbling act. So number one, forgiveness sets you free. Number two, forgiveness enables you to move forward. And number three, forgiveness shows that you have accepted the grace of God. That is the point of the parable that Jesus tells. We develop an unhealthy pride when we don't forgive others, and it messes with our relationship with God. We, we, and, and we need to be aware of that and aware of what's going on. When we don't forgive others, we're basically saying, I need to be their judge. And that's not a role that you and I can fill very well. That's a role that only God can fill. And so when we forgive, we're basically putting our trust back in God and saying, hey, I know you see what's really going on here, and I'm going to allow you, I'm going to cast this off and give it to you and allow you to sort out what's ultimate and right and, and, and true here, and I'm going to let go of it. And I know it's hard. Maybe one of the best illustrations of grace and forgiveness that I can think of kind of in the modern era uh, occurred in an, in an Amish community called Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. On October 2nd, 2006, a man named Charles Roberts um, broke into a schoolhouse in, in this com- Amish community with a gun, and he opened fire and, ki- and killed five little girls and injured five more. And then he turned the gun on himself and killed himself. It's a horrible community, horrible tragedy in the Amish community. And a few days later, there was a large funeral that the Amish came together and they buried their daughters. Five of them uh, died there. The very next day, there was a funeral for the shooter, Charles Roberts. And the Amish community showed up in force to that funeral. They weren't there to protest. They weren't there to cause a scene. They showed up to offer support and comfort for Charles Roberts, now widow, Marie and they loved her and supported her. The very people who had buried their own daughters the day before came out the next day to comfort the killer's wife. She later wrote an open letter to the Amish community, and this is what she said. Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. Gifts you've given have touched our hearts in a way no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and is changing our world. And for this, we sincerely thank you. Forgiveness has a way of melting hearts. Maybe for the person you're forgiving or for sure your own. Forgiveness has a way of keeping us tender. And I hear that story and I just think, how do they do it? In my own situation, like if it was one of my, if it was one of my sons who died that day, 
could I go and offer that so quickly? How can you do that? How, how painful is that? Or would I be so bitter and angry that I wouldn't be able to do it? Well, the Amish didn't forgive her because they don't use electricity and ride in buggies. They forgave that family and offered that and offered that love and support because they're followers of Jesus. And they believe, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's not just a pretty song. It's the truth. God has saved us and we're a wretch. We're bad. We're broken, all of us. And we need to recognize that. And, and in turn, because we've been forgiven much, we are to forgive others much as well. These are hard questions, but we can learn from them that we can forgive and that God has been gracious to us. Lewis Smeads, again, in a, in, a, in a final quote, a great article on forgiveness. I'll post it online later. He says this, to forgive is to reach back into your hurting past and recreate it in your memory so that you can begin again. To forgive is to dance to the beat of God's forgiving heart. It is to ride the crest of love's strongest wave. Our only escape, listen to this, our only escape from history's cruel unfairness, our only passage to the future's creative possibilities is the miracle of forgiving. In other words, if you want to rewrite your future, you're going to have to lay down your right to be right about your past. Forgive those who have sinned against you. It's not going to be easy. But it will be good. And God can work in us and through us as we extend that forgiveness to others. Let's pray.